last mile of the way. It's not in this Bible, but a sermon I heard one time. Preacher talked about that ox or the old mule pulling in the harness. And one day he died pulling in that harness. I remember writing down in the front of my Bible, Lord, I want to die like that old mule pulling in the harness. I want to keep going. Brother Grady, you know, my pastor out in, uh, out in Georgia, he preached that Sunday before he passed away. And uh, that Tuesday night, I've shown y'all before whether you remember it or not, but uh, Brother Grady, uh, when he passed away, he was... He called me about 2 o'clock in the morning, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, went over to his house, and uh, Miss Hazel said he, he sat up and he had another coughing fit. He had emphysema. He said, I'm sorry, and he just laid over. And uh, we were waiting on the hearse. I know this is uplifting. Y'all just stick with me here. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but it just took me back. Oh, Brother Grady, he... Uh, when the, when the hearse showed up and we went to put him in the hearse and had to help him, you know, get him out of the house. And uh, I talked to Didi on the phone. I said, yeah, we just put him in the hearse. She said, did you feel that? I said, what? She said, it was an earthquake. And uh, I said, well, okay. And, uh, well, you know, and I still had the article. There was an earthquake that morning. And uh, not only that, but there's Brother Grady's obituary, and then there's a thing about the earthquake, if I remember correctly, next to each other. I'll have to bring that and show y'all. Just interesting things, amen? Interesting things. Turn with me if you're in your Bible, if you would, to uh, Ephesians chapter number 4, or chapter number 5. That's where we are. We've been kind of working our way through Ephesians. And uh, seeing it all in a context, and I didn't, I, I might have gone a different direction if I'd have seen it earlier, but you know, in Ephesians, it talks about your walk. If you, if you just look through there, I'm not going to, it's not going to be in the sermon today, but uh, it, it, talk, it talks, Paul talks about your Christian walk all through it. He said, uh, verse chapter number five, this is just one example. He said, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And just for yourself in your own study time, take a look at Ephesians and go through there and look for how Paul tells you to walk, those different things. There's about four or five of them. Different times he tells you to walk a certain way. Uh Chapter 4, verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So we've been looking at this from the aspect of the church. We first looked at Paul praying for other people over there in uh, chapter number 3, in uh, verse 17, if you want to take note, that one's online. And then we also looked at the church. So there's praying for others, those that are out of the church, those that are in the church. This is just a recap. But uh, in uh, chapter number four, we look at the church, the unity in the church, how Jesus left us the church 
to support each other, to edify each other, to build each other up in Christ. There's a mutual accountability. There's a, there's a fellowship involved, and there's teaching. You know, uh, you get into Acts chapter number 8. And I, I bring this line up a lot, but that Ethiopian eunuch, Philip runs up to him, and he's reading in Isaiah, and he says, understand this what thou readest? He said, how can I except some man show me? You know, uh, we were just talking this morning, you know, I was a latchkey kid, and a lot of things I taught myself <laughs> doesn't mean they were right. But uh, you, the, the older Christians in the church and the, the, the more mature Christians, and it's not necessarily age sometimes, you can have a 65-year-old Christian that's just a baby. You can have a 35-year-old Christian that's just as mature and, and just as spirit-filled as God would have you. So it's not age, it's, it's spiritual maturity. You know, although we like to look back and say, well, I got some years on me, I can look back and I can see I've done all these things. Well, that's kind of like the fellow that said, why'd you give him the promotion? He said, I've been here for 10 years. And he said, and, he, and he's only been doing this for three. And he said, well, he's got five years experience. What do you mean? Well, you've been, ten year, you've been here 10 years, you only got one year experience. You're still doing the same things you did when you got here. So spiritual maturity, Christian maturity is growing up in Christ, growing up in God's word. And he gives us the church. He left us apostles, prophets, pastors. We have pastors and teachers now. And there's other offices within the church. But the whole goal of the church and focus of the church is to build each other up in Christ. And so that we can walk closer to Christ. And to, to hold each other up, to be there for each other. And y'all have certainly been there for me. I appreciate it. The last month in June, there uh, quite a lot going on there. Um, and then, this, this one isn't online, but we talked, uh, starting in verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testifying the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So we have prayers for others. We have building up the church. And then we have... We have maturing as a Christian, maturing in your walk. And he tells you about putting off and changing some things in your life, putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And he goes on and describes all of that. And uh, chapter five to me is just kind of a continuation there until you get to. Uh, until you get to verse number 22. I had to pause a minute. I've been studying this one in a different Bible. I had to pause a minute. But verse number 22, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the family structure. Don't get nervous, women. This is, this is talking to the men today and to the young men. But uh, don't get nervous, Miss Gay. I told you it was going to be on submission. But uh, it's just not who you think. All right, let's pray. Amen. In uh, July 2020, I don't know if y'all heard about it, but there was a ship in San Diego called the USS Bonhomme Richard. And that ship was parked at the pier, and it was in maintenance. Now, things change a little bit when when a ship is in maintenance. When I was in the Navy, our ship went into the yard up in New York, and uh, most of the crew was off of the ship. We stayed in 
in barracks out there. It was a big old trailer. You know, we were off the ship, but we were working on the ship during the day. But you had the yard crew that kind of took over everything, you know. And when maintenance is going on, nothing works, right? Everything's kind of torn apart. And uh, that's the state that the Bonhomme Richard was in. It was getting maintenance done. It was getting upgrades done, I think, for F-35s, they said. But uh, they were parked in port, and a fire started down below. It was an amphibious ship, so it's real big. And a fire started down below. And the first sign of it was smoke. There was a, a young sailor that said she, it looked kind of foggy in there when she went to the vending machine, but she didn't pay any attention to it. She didn't smell smoke or anything. And then another sailor had gone by, and he saw it, and he reported it to the deck watch. And apparently there was a whole list of failures that took place. I'm not going to go over what they all were that contributed but the end result was that five days later, the Bonhomme Richard wasn't, wasn't worth scrap because it had, it had burned for five days. And there were all kinds of failures. There were failures of training. A lot of the fire system had been cut off. The, uh, the, fire, the federal fire department and the city fire department, they... They didn't know that their radios were compatible. They didn't have communication. The federal told the city to go away. They went in there and they went to fight the fire. And one of their, one of the people that went in there, their, their air wasn't working or something. They got smoke inhalation and they had to go back out. And at one point, somebody made the call, said, look, everybody leave, it's about to blow. And when it hit gas canisters, it just caught fire. They pulled it out. They had all the harbor boats putting the fire out. And you say, where is this going, Brother Keith? Well, one of the main problems that happened, see, in the military, around D-Day and World War II, one of the things that made us so successful, no matter what happened, I think y'all have heard me say this before, is that even though the leadership wasn't right there, the man who was the most senior, or, you know, had to... It didn't matter if it was a, a buck private over other privates, just because he had a few days more than them or what, they would make the call on what they were going to do based on the mission that they, as they understood it. And they were able to proceed forward. For the Germans, they had this organized structure, but the leadership wasn't around, you know? Right. So that's, that's a lot of the reason that they failed. But it was an understood leadership. And the thing is, when there's no leadership, there's a vacuum, and somebody will step into it. In this case, with the Bonhomme Richard, nobody knew who the leader was over this. Because the, you had the surf pack commander, he was pretty sure that it was Third Fleet's responsibility to handle the fire. So he calls over to Third Fleet, and they say, no, no, it's in maintenance. It's not ours. So he calls the vice admiral. And the vice admiral said, no, no, it's in maintenance. It's not ours. It's your responsibility. Finally, he just took responsibility, but I got to filter out. <laughs> Do you know that that vice admiral, Khan, he ended up being the one on the investigation committee to find out what everybody else did wrong, the one that wouldn't take responsibility for it? Anyway, that's politics. The, the point of all of this, besides telling you a good story told badly, 
is that uh, there needs to be leadership. God set it up for us to have a structure within our families and within our church. And when, when that structure is not as God designed, things fall apart. You know, things tend to go right. I'm getting real nervous. I'm going to start sweating and pulling my collar here. But uh, that was my illustration for that. So let's look at uh, verse number 22. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband, and this is the part we're getting to, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let our wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one. He said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So as we look at this in the context of this kind of series we've been going through in Ephesians, we see Paul praying for the people and us praying for others. We see the church that Jesus Christ left us, the, the structure there with the, teach, the pastors and teachers. We see the changes that the individual makes because the, the body in the entirety relies on the effectiveness of the individual. Y'all, do you all hear that? How, how good we do? as a church is how good we do as individuals. And this, that's the changing of things. And now we get to the family. As we look at this, as we go, as we progress, Paul's now addressing the family. And uh, so I don't know if I fleshed the illustration out well enough, but the fact the fact that there wasn't leadership within that situation caused a lot of the problems, a majority of the problems. Nobody wanted to take responsibility. And when we look at what Paul is saying here with the wives submitting to the husbands, he goes on to, say, to set a higher standard. He says, there, uh, therefore, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. There's an order of submission here. And it's not for the husband to rule with a rod of iron. It's not for the husband to automatically say, well, you got to listen and do everything I said. This puts responsibility on the husband because if you leave a gap in your spiritual walk, your wives have nothing to submit to Y'all follow me on that? I, you know, I feel like I'm walking into a war zone with a BB gun. Y'all, I, I know, and I shouldn't be so mealy-mouthed. What I'm more worried about, I'm not worried about what God says 
I'm not worried about the order that God says. What I'm worried about is coming across wrong in this and not being studied up enough on it. But it's understanding what God set up in the Bible. He set it up. Let me put it to you this way. Would you have more respect for a man who's following the Lord, who's in his Bible, who's on his knees in prayer, or a man who just gets up there and says, well, you got to listen to me. So when, when Christ set this up, when he set up the church and he set up the family, he set it up for a reason. He set that structure up for a reason. And this is all in Christ. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. I got a note here. If you're in rebellion in your earthly relationships, you'll be in rebellion in your heavenly. And if you have a problem with the way God set it up here, you may be in rebellion to what God has set up. Over in John chapter number three, Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And what Paul is showing us is this parallel between how the family is set up and how Christ and the church are set up, us being in submission. But headship, headship over the wife is leadership. Let's look at uh, number one, when we look at the headship of the husband, Number one, we see a serving leadership. It's not just a leadership where you're in charge. We see the example set with Christ, as Christ is the head of the church. So let's look at what Christ did with the church. Look over in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 6. I'm going to go back a little bit. Verse number four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You see how Jesus was equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus Christ, who was equal with God, it wasn't robbery to be equal with God, he humbled himself. He's our leader. He's the head of the church as the husband is the head of who? The wife. So in that example, he said he humbled himself. He gave himself for the church. And we should have that leadership, men, of our wives. We should have that same attitude. It's a humble relationship, a serving leadership. Over in Luke chapter 2, 25, Luke chapter 22, verse 25, it says, And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. They'd had an argument about who will sit on the right hand, who will be in authority, Lord. He said, the kings of the Gentiles ex- exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. 
He said, but you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. And for whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth at meat. But I am among you as he that serveth. We see Jesus the way he was with the apostles when he was washing their feet. As, as a leader, as a head of the house, it should be a leadership of love. He said in uh, John 13, 13, he said, you call me master and Lord. And you say, well, for so, um, so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You know, I, I know women like their feet washed. <laughs> I know that's a stupid statement, but... We, we ought to have that same attitude toward our wives. And what you'll notice, if you look at relationships that break down, if you look at marriages that break down, one or the other isn't fulfilling that role. The husband doesn't treat his wife right, amen? Or the wife beats her husband into submission. I've seen that too. To where the man can't be a man, He's not allowed to be the head or he doesn't take over that position and then there's a power vacuum. In the case of the Bonhomme Richard that uh, after calling the third fleet, the commander of surf pack finally took over. And the thing was, as that fire was raging on and everyone's on the pier, nobody took charge of anything. Nobody coordinated. There was one sailor out there and he had nothing to do his position was nowhere in that. He just started directing. He got on there, he called the boats, got those lined up on the side, and you see them all hosing down the ship. They couldn't go in there anymore. He got a hold of the fire department and said, you go ahead and line up on this side. Well, this, this one isn't working. All right, go down here and hook up down at that one. You know, And he just started directing. He wasn't in charge of anything. So you leave a vacuum, man, and... Somebody's going to step in there and take it. Take it's not the right word. But uh, that's when you see the woman had to step up and take care of things on her own. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happier are you if you do them. The wife submits to the husband, the husband submits to Jesus Christ, or they both submit to Jesus Christ. The church submits to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ submits to God. He's equal with God, but he submitted himself to God. That's one of the great mysteries, isn't it? It being equal with God, he was still submissive to God. So what is headship? Headship is responsibility assumed, not primarily a chain of command. It is a line of responsibility. And then it was said, that responsibility, you can delegate it, you can delay it, you can put it off, but it's still your responsibility, ultimately. Here's a note here from Adrian Rogers. He said, it doesn't mean that one is inferior and one is superior. When God has put headship in the home, he said, I watched some football yesterday. When the quarterback calls a play, it doesn't mean he's inferior to the running back. There just has to be somebody to call the play so you're all going in the same direction 
And who says who calls the play? The coach. Who says that the husband is the head of the home? Almighty God. Doesn't mean that the husband is superior. It doesn't mean that the wife is inferior. But there must be authority in the home. Amen. So there's responsibility on the husband. There's a serving leadership. And then there's also a sacrificial leadership. Or a sacrificial love, excuse me. He says in... uh, Get back to Ephesians. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loved us enough that he gave himself for it. Let me tell you something. When you get married, when you, and I'm talking to the young men that aren't married yet, when you get married, you're going to give up some things. And it's, it's a sacrifice in yourself for the love of your wife. Jesus died for the church. He was willing to give himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So also, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. When we see the way the Lord set things up, when we get out of alignment with them, we get away from God's plan. I've, I've seen, I grew up in a divorced family, and I, a couple divorces, you know. And you, you can see where the marriage starts to go wrong, or you, can, you, you start to see one person or the other that takes precedent, you know, or, or one person or the other that's not doing what they ought to do. And the men, as head of the house... or head of the family, there's an added responsibility there. Because I'll go back to the Bonhomme Richard. One of the other failures in that was a failure of training. I mean, it was just a fact that a lot of the sailors, I think they'd spent time training. I I bet they could tell you how many genders there are. But there was a failure of training in this case. Because when the sailors that were on watch went to fight it. Some of them said, well, I'm in the wrong uniform. I'm not able to fight it. Now, if you don't know about it, the Navy's got those polyester dress uniforms. And let me tell you something, polyester and fire. (laughs) I never understood it. You know, we'd be down there on watch. You know, we'd be part of the fire drill and all that. You know, I got a little nervous about it because those things are 100% polyester. I'd probably come out of there skin showing. But, uh, you know, but you, we trained. And that training is set by somebody. That, somebody sets up that training and somebody plans that and says, we're going to have a drill on this date and we're going to take a look at how that worked out and we're going to fix this and we're going to fix that. There's a responsibility in that. And as the head of the home, the father, the husband... There's a responsibility in paying attention to the spiritual walk of your family. There's a responsibility in teaching the word to your family. There's a responsibility in taking, well, just taking responsibility for the spiritual walk of your family. And it's not beating somebody over the head and saying, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, but it's showing them. Because Christ set the example for us. Jesus set the example for us when he taught the disciples he would see those little life things that would go on, and he would, he would talk to them about it, and he'd give them a parable. You know, it doesn't mean you have to have a bunch of parables, but it's understanding. 
something that I've learned recently, one speech, one big old plan doesn't change a person. But if you're there for them at those little moments, and, and it's a constant thing to be there with your children when they do something. You're not going to sit there and sit them down with a class and a notebook and, and have them learn everything that you're trying to teach them. And, you know, kind of like they do out of the plant. They sit me down once a year in front of a computer and he just reads it monotone, you know, a slide this big. And a crane should be 35,000 feet or 35 feet away from him at this and 50,000 volts should be this. And so you don't learn it. If it hadn't have been for the other times that I'd been taught, you know, when I learned safety, <laughs> when I was in the Navy, they drilled in our Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta fire until you just knew it in your sleep, you know. There was times you, you brought it, when they trained again, they brought it up again. When they trained again, they brought it up again. Dad, that wears you out. But you, in order to be able to do that, in order to be able to train your family, and to lead them in the way that God would have you to lead them, your head has to be in the Bible. Your head has to be on the things of the Lord so that you're ready in that moment when your son comes to you with a question, when your daughter comes to you with a question. Let me tell you something. The Lord's kicking me right now. Ain't that right? You hear yourself? But there's that headship. There's that responsibility. And when a man is doing that and the wife submits to that, then they're both going on the right track. That man on the pier that took charge, they didn't argue with him. They didn't say, well, you don't have authority here. You don't have this or that. He just saw the vacuum. He stepped up. I wasn't there. But I suspect this is how it happened. He started making the call. You know, one, thing, one of my early lessons on leadership when I was in the Navy was cleaning the head. Y'all know what the head is? It's a restroom. Cleaning the restroom when I was in basic electricity and electronics. I was fresh out of boot camp, but I was fresh out of A school, and I had my crow, petty officer. Y'all had to work harder for them than we did. We just had to show up. There I am, a third-class petty officer, and there's a, there's a clean, you know, you get assigned your different working parties. I worked with one crew, and I remember everybody in the, in the head, in the bathroom, they're all sitting around on the benches in the shower. It's a big shower, right, one big one. not going to tell you how that was. But he's in the middle, and he's got the floor buffer. The guy that was in charge of the crew. Everybody's sitting around talking, and he's in there with a the floor buffer. I looked at him because I was thinking, you know, at some point I'm going to have a crew. How am I going to lead? And I was watching how everybody responded and everything, and I saw that fellow out there, and he's sweating. And he's getting it done, boy, and everybody else is sitting around. I said, no, that's not the way. I mean, they're stepping forward to do things. I worked with another guy, and... I didn't know the deep, you know, how do they want this done? We've been in boot camp. We've been using toothbrushes. I know they don't want that here. <laughs> well, you just, you know, we got to get this done every day. We don't have time to polish every tile. And uh, he just said, all right, you got the sink, you got the toilets, and you got the, sh you, you know, you two go and take care of the shower. Plain and simple. No yelling. 
no, no hollering. And then I watched the guy, and one of the guys had a question. Or what he said, well, how many questions can you have? I don't know. The guy had a question or something. He goes over there and he said, yeah, we'll go ahead. And he just starts helping him. He's working with him. Somebody else comes along. You know what? When somebody else came along and pulled him away, you didn't mind because you knew he had your back. You knew he was getting things taken care of and that you'd be able to get out of there and they'd say, yeah, this looks good and you weren't going to have to come back because he had things under control. Let me tell you something, man. When you got things under control, when you're leading a family, you might make mistakes, but they won't mind following you. There's another side of the coin here to where if everybody's rebellious, it doesn't work out. That's the part where wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands. If you're rebellious, if you just belittle your husband, if you just if you make him feel lower than dirt, if you just point out every single mistake he he makes today and yesterday and down the road, you know, 30 years ago, and you constantly remind him, it's not a joy. I see y'all get tight. I feel the eyes burning me. But I'm making that up. But uh, I'm safer up here. <laughs> but, but if you rebel, it's not a joy to lead. It, but it takes, it takes both parties. It takes a man willing to stand up with a character to stand up and to stay in the word. And it takes a wife, and she'll want to submit when she knows that he's following the Lord. She should. Doesn't work out in every instance. But I would just about bet, if you looked at it, in a lot of instances where things fall apart, it's because one party or the other isn't following the Lord. And I'm not talking about on the outside. I'm not talking about the one that dresses up and goes to church every Sunday and and dictates what things are going to happen. I'm talking about the man that is truly humbled before the Lord. We were reading Psalm 51 this morning and saw David's contrite heart and saw how David went before the Lord. A man that truly goes before the Lord, your family will want to follow you. But if you insist on your rights, and I'll tell you what I've told you all a hundred times, as soon as you think you're in charge of the relationship and you're in control, you just lost it. So, all right, if you'll stand...